0: Hi, this is Rosie Tillis and Rachel Hine, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in service examination. Our goal is to take you through high yield topics along with experts in the respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message about our sponsors. In this episode, we'll be covering quick hits, coding, and statistics. This is a quick hit series designed to take you through the tested upon topics in the in-service in the last five years, right, Rachel?
1: Yes, five to eight years. All right. So like Rosie said, we'll be covering coding and statistics today. For coding for transgender breast augmentation, it's important to know that this is covered by Medicaid and Medicare, military, and most private payers. Breast reconstruction has its own separate coding for women with breast cancer. So you don't use breast reconstruction when you're coding for transgender breast augmentation. And the coding that you will use for this case is bilateral augmentation mammoplasty with prosthetic implant. And even though it is considered to be reconstructive in this population, you do not use that breast reconstruction code. For breast reconstruction, there are several different codes we use. There is replacement of tissue expander with permanent prosthesis. This includes excision of the mastectomy scar. The next one that we use commonly is revision of reconstructed breast. This is only after reconstruction is complete. So if you are doing a stage two tissue expander removal with implant placement, you do not select revision of reconstructed breast. That is only after the reconstruction is complete. Fat grafting is always a separate code. There can be 20926 tissue grafts or other, and this is used for fat grafting for upper pole deformities. No other codes are necessary for fat grafting like fat harvest. And then there is breast reconstruction with a free flap. And this includes all the components in the free flap, river section, microscope use, complex closure, flap harvest, shaping of the breast, et cetera. Other separated codes that you may code for in this case, if you use indocyanin green, so if you use a spy, you can code for that separately. Do not use the code interpretation and report because you're not sending it off to be interpreted. You are using it yourself to assess perfusion of the flap. And you can also use a separate code for any hernia repair. So if there's an incidental umbilical hernia or um, ventral hernia, you can use that. You don't code for a fascial closure created by the flap defect, only if there's an incidentally found one there. Rosie, do you want to take us through rhinoplasty?
0: Mm -hmm. So for rhinoplasty coding, um, septoplasty itself, the code is uh, only for submucous resection, harvest of cartilage, et cetera. If you're going to do a spreader graft placement for internal valve collapse, use the code for vestibular stenosis. If you're performing the septoplasty in conjunction, because this already includes the septal cartilage harvest and the rhinoplasty code includes the lower alar cartilages and bony pyramid as well.
1: If you're doing a septoplasty and you do spreader grafts, you will use the vestibular stenosis code. If you're not doing a septoplasty, then you can use, if you are doing a rhinoplasty, a primary rhinoplasty, then you can use harvest of septal cartilage for your spreader grafts. But because you've already performed the septoplasty, that is why you use the code for vestibular stenosis. For facial fractures- um, there are a couple things that were tested on. There is the zygomaticomaxillary complex fractures, and they're classified in two different ways. There's one, which is ORIF of the malar fracture, or you can add a complexity code to the malar fracture. And the complexity code is necessitated if there are multiple incisions or if the fracture crosses the infraorbital foramen. So that's when you would add the complexity code. Otherwise, it's just an ORIF. And then orbital floor fractures are coded separately, even though they're common, commonly seen in the ZMC fracture. So you will select repair with a periorbital approach with an alloplastic implant, if you do a combination ZMC fracture and orbital blowout fracture.
0: So for general soft tissue reconstruction, random pattern flaps, like rhomboid flaps, for example, are coded as an adjacent tissue transfer. And if you use this adjacent tissue transfer code, the excision of the lesion is included within that. It's a bundle. The size of the closure or tissue rearrangement when you're dictating for the codes means you have to multiply the defect by its parameters. So you get the square centimeters of the actual defect and it's the defect plus the size of the flap that you use to cover it. The size of the reconstruction of the flap defect is not included in the coding separately because it's already included by the secondary defect measurement. Like I said, all those go together in one. However, reconstruction techniques of the donor site is included in coding. So you will have to dictate if you close the the donor site in a separate way. And then flaps based on an axial pattern named vessel, like like flaps in the facial artery, are coded as a musculocutaneous flap or fasciocutaneous flap, depending on the components used.
1: Right. So there's a couple things to remember in this. When you're looking at the size of a closure of the defect, like Rosie said, you will multiply the parameters of the defect. So if the defect is reported as three by three centimeters, that's nine centimeters. If a three by three flap is used to reconstruct that, then it's three times three, which is nine, plus three times three, which is nine. So that would equal 18. So that's the that's the total for your flap, okay? And then the second one is when they, they'll try to get you with either a random pattern flap or a known flap. So you just need to know if the flap that you're using is random pattern because that would be an adjacent tissue transfer or if it is in a named vessel, so if you're taking it off of a known blood supply, then that becomes a musculocutaneous or fasciocutaneous flap, depending on what you're doing. So like she said, for the carapansic flap, that is actually a musculocutaneous flap because it's based on the facial artery.
0: So for Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements, um, these, are, these rules are mostly followed by third party payers as well. A global surgical package is a single payment for all care associated with a surgical procedure. So some things are not separately billable like follow-up appointments. Services not included in the global package include unrelated visits, unrelated surgeries, and initial evaluation. So you can bill separately for the initial evaluation and the surgery. So the global period for major surgery is 90 days. And that includes all post-op care and procedures, including suture removal. It includes pre-op visits after the decision for surgery is made. It includes all post-surgical pain care and all supplies and procedures. And then post-operative visits, again, this is a global period where no additional fees are payable, 90 days for major surgery. And the exception for that includes complications, the operating room, so hematoma or infection, and that would be an extra billable, right?
1: Right. Okay, so that's all we have for coding. We're gonna move on to a little bit of statistical analysis. This is very basic, and we're not including any kind of mathematics in this lecture, but we are tested on this, so I thought I would go over it. There are common measures of central tendency that you know. Mean, which is statistical average. This is prone to change when the data is highly skewed. There is median, the exact middle value, which is preferred with highly skewed data. And then there's mode, which is the most frequently occurring score in a set of scores. When they report things in a range, that's the distance between the minimum and maximum value. And then the standard deviation is how spread out the values are in a data set. There are categorical values, which are values that cannot be quantified. And this is usually assessed by non-parametric statistics. So yes, no categorical variables or values. There are continuous variables, and this is a variable that gives a score for each subject, blood pressure, cholesterol, and that's used with parametric statistics to assess. And parametric tests assume that the data are normally distributed and non-parametric tests are typically a little bit more stringent because they are based on the assumption of a non-normal distribution. So an example of a parametric test would be the T-test, the ANOVA, the chi-square, and remember that you're using this with continuous variables. And then for non-parametric tests, those are ordinal or nominal, Mann-Whitney-U test, Fisher-Exact test, Wilcoxon, and Match-Paris test. The p-value, which we're tested on sometimes is the probability that the outcome would have occurred by a chance. And we typically set that at 0.05. There is a confidence interval, which is the range of values around a sample mean within which the researcher can be certain contains the true mean of the population. And then there are two things that were commonly tested on there's sensitivity. That is the probability that a patient with a disease will have a positive test result. That's sensitivity. Specificity is the probability that a patient without a disease will have a negative test result.
0: can talk about positive predictive value, so that's the probability that a patient with a positive test result has the disease, and that relates to the specificity. And then negative predictive value is the probability that a patient with a negative test result does not have the disease. We're also tested on types of error within statistical studies. So a type 1 error is a probability of falsely rejecting the null hypothesis. So that means that the researcher concludes that there is a difference between these two conditions when there is in fact no difference. A type 2 error is the opposite, is the probability of failing to reject the null hypothesis when it is true. That is when the researcher concludes that there's no difference between two conditions when there is a real difference. And then, like I said, the null hypothesis is always that there's no real difference between groups and power is a term that refers to the statistical likelihood that a researcher will find a significant effect that exists based on the sample size and the number of variables.
1: All right. Thank you guys for joining us for Quick Hits, Coding and Statistics. This is a short one, but good to review the day before the test. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they're dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.